This is Notoriously Episcopalian. My name is Kelly Hudlow. This is a podcast of sermons and musings all about the Christian faith and especially about being an Episcopalian. This is a sermon for the 19th Sunday after Pentecost, October 3rd, 2021, offered at St. Barnabas Episcopal Church in Roanoke, Alabama. The principal text for the sermon is Mark chapter 10, verses 2 through 16, when the Pharisees try to test Jesus by asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? May I speak in the name of one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So last weekend, I was at Camp McDowell on Saturday and Sunday, working with students that are part of the Alabama Integrative Ministry School. It's our diocesan school for ministry where we work with folks that are in formation for ordination that will serve in sort of creative and maybe non-traditional ways. We call them bivocational clergy. Um, This is an experience actually in the Southern Protestant Church that's not that foreign because lots of our Methodist and Baptist brothers and sisters have pastors that will work a different job, you know, during the week and that's their main job to support themselves. And then they also pastor a church um, uh, on Sundays and meet the sort of the pastoral needs of that community. So this was a gathering of the students that are in that formation program, folks that are preparing to come priests and deacons, and we sort of started or had a session where they could ask myself and David Hall, another priest that was there with me helping to lead the weekend, different questions about the ministry, and somebody asked, you know, what's your favorite thing that you get to do as a priest in the church? And I said, after thinking about it for a minute, that really one of my most enjoyable things that I get to do, and I don't get to do it that often, but that I really have enjoyed doing, is working with a couple that's about to get married. Now, there was um, some sort of curious looks. If you've had, you have planned a wedding, if you've had family members around you that have planned weddings, you might realize or sort of know that weddings oftentimes may be the most stressful point Um, for a couple's relationship. There's lots of decisions to be made. Um, And as a priest in the church, um, your job is sort of maintaining the integrity of the sacramental rite. So that often means that when the couple comes with dreams of some grand part of a ceremony that's not in the book of of common prayer, you have to sort of shake your head and say, let's think about this in a different way. And so you may spend more time saying no um, to, to couples and their dreams or to sort of parents and grandparents that have ideas because I see as sort of my role in that moment is making sure that we remember what we're doing, right? We're getting married in the church, not just because the church is a pretty backdrop, but because the couple is offering themselves in a very particular way to the service of God through their marriage. And they are also coming to God to ask for grace and for support of the community that is the church in which they will be married. Now, I found that most couples nowadays, when they really want to get married in the church, and I say, well, you realize we'll have to meet four to six times ahead of time before we even really talk about where the flowers are and how many members in the bridal party and and things like that. Um, The ones that say, yes, I want to get married in the church, I know it takes all of that, um, really 
are there and are committed because they want their marriage to, to have the sacramental quality of marriage in the church. And so the time that I get to spend with them as they plan uh, and get ready for their wedding is a wonderful time to learn about them. It makes it really easy to preach the sermon, right? Because you get to hear all of the funny stories about how they met. You get to learn about their faith, their relationship with each other, their plans for their life together. But then there are also certain things that you have to discuss. We talk about the Book of Common Prayer. We talk about marriage as a sacrament. We talk about how the relationships around them are examples for marriage. How were their parents' marriages? How were grandparents and friends? Who are the models in their life for relationships? We talk about some hard things like how do you have a fight with one another? What do you do when you disagree? And one of the most important conversations we have is we talk about what their plans are for when their marriage is in trouble. And sometimes that's a little shocking. They're like, what do you mean when our marriage is in trouble? I'm like, when inevitably you hit a point where there's conflict or a challenge that really is pushing y'all to the, to the ends of, of your capacity to maintain this marriage, what is your plan for that point? And it is a when and not an if. Who is your community of support that you go to? Are you receptive to seeing a counselor? What is your emergency plan to protect this marriage that you have offered up to God and have transformed? What do you do when you really believe that your marriage is not something you can just walk away from? And sometimes I have the privilege of walking with folks that have experienced a marriage and a divorce and who come to the church again seeking to be married in the church and we go through lots of the same questions but then we have this additional conversation of talking about their previous marriage how that person that that former spouse is taken care of what their relationship is like with them today if there's children how the children are provided for and what the children's relationship is with the previous with the other spouse what the soon-to-be new spouse's relationship is to the previous spouse and it gets complicated and messy, but it is amazing at how people can be very good and creative of finding ways to keep loving each other, even when that relationship changes. Now, before the 20th century, if you had experienced marriage and divorce, the options for remarriage in the church were pretty limited. And the reason for that has a lot to do with this passage that we have from the gospel this morning. Within the story of Mark, we get this confrontation scene. We're gonna get, we get several of these, right? Mark puts Jesus sort of paired in these confrontations. And this particular one comes shortly after the transfiguration. So when the glory of Jesus has been revealed and when he begins explaining to his disciples what has to happen in Jerusalem, that he will suffer and die and be raised again. And so chapter 10, where we get these long sort of passages of teaching, they are coming in the growing shadow of the cross that is waiting for Jesus in Jerusalem. And Jesus is taking this time to prepare his disciples for what it means for them to be in the kingdom and be a disciple, even once he is not with them in the same way. 
And so it's in that moment, the sort of increasing intensity of teaching, that we have a Pharisee that comes to test him and ask him a question about divorce, pulling from passages in Deuteronomy that outline the conditions for a man to divorce his wife. And now we can say pretty safely that marriage during this period does not look like what marriage does today. Marriage was about creating the household which was ruled by the father and became the basic building block of economic life. It was within that sort of patriarchal structure and household that all economic life occurred, taxation, generation of wealth, passing on property to legitimate children. And the limitations on divorce that we get in Deuteronomy seem focused on the maintaining of economic stability for the community, for the women and children, and the insurance of legitimate heirs to pass property onto. So when Jesus hears the question from the Pharisees, what do you think about this, can a man divorce his wife? He, in a very typical Jesus fashion, decides to answer a different question. One that they didn't even ask. The Pharisees want to talk about divorce, but Jesus wants to talk about marriage. The Pharisees point to Moses' law, and Jesus points to the same scriptures but goes back to the book of Genesis to talk about what God's intention for marriage was in the first place. Jesus looks to the point of creation and sees that God created marriage for companionship and mutuality of relationship. It's in marriage that whatever separates us makes us different. Male and female is a race because we become one flesh. God didn't create a patriarchal household for an economic system. God created the idea of a relationship built on mutuality and shared care and concern and companionship. So Jesus concedes to the Pharisees. Yes, Moses provided for divorce, not because it was God's intentions, but because of our hard-heartedness, our willingness to offer up God's gift of marriage to the world for it to be turned into a system of wealth and power. Now later, privately, Jesus doubles down with the disciples. He says, whoever remarries after a divorce commits adultery. What I find most interesting about this is that he has moved past the Pharisees' question altogether, who said, should a man be able to divorce his wife? Jesus, because he views marriage as erasing the separateness between male and female as mutual and equality of relationship, says either one, whoever divorces, husband or wife, if they remarry, then they have committed adultery. Now the Christian church has received this teaching and for centuries, we have interpreted it as rigidly as the Pharisees read the passages on divorce from Deuteronomy. We took this passage along with some others from the gospel and some from the epistles to Paul and enshrined an understanding of marriage that was rigid and seemingly unchangeable. That Christian understanding of marriage locked people into abusive relationships trapped people in systems of exploitation, denied people the support and sacraments of the church, and at times became a weapon to exclude people from our common life. Whether it was denying communion to someone that had been divorced or denying the ability to be remarried in the church or demonizing the LGBTQ community. In claiming a rigid teaching on Christian marriage, we miss the point 
of what was important about the lesson that Jesus is offering in these shocking words. In this moment, Jesus is showing us how to read Scripture in the kingdom of God, right? Jesus reads the passage from Deuteronomy in light of the passages from Genesis. Because in Genesis, we get God's intention for the created world, God's hopes, God's desires. And that has to be read together with the other passages. And so we need to understand what God's goal was, knowing that we may fall short of it, but knowing that that's still the goal to live into. And so with that in mind, in the mid-20th century, the church began to reconsider our understanding of marriage and divorce. We as a community of faith had begun to experience divorce and remarriage in our lives in ways that had not existed before then. Divorce numbers were increasing. And I don't say that as like that was a good thing, but that was becoming a fact of life for the world that we lived in. And we continued to have people that experienced marriage, divorce, and remarriage that lived fruitful and faithful lives. And so we return to our passages. This passage from Jesus reading Genesis in light of his teachings, in light of Deuteronomy. But this time, following the way Jesus taught us to read the Bible, we read and looked for God's intention for marriage and divorce and all of this together through the lens of the cross and resurrection. Reading it in that way, we read them in an understanding of the gospel that was about grace and redemption and reconciliation and love and forgiveness. And again, as a community of faith, Later in the 20th century into the 21st century, as our experience of LGBTQ plus persons increased in the church and we saw people continually seeking to engage in the life of the church and be offered the grace and support of church communities and who became vital parts of church communities, we went back to scripture. Again, reading some of our hardest passages the way Jesus taught us, which is in light of the gospel of Christ. That's not been easy, certainly. It wasn't easy when we passed a canon to allow remarriage in the church after divorce. It wasn't easy when we allowed clergy members to be divorced and remarried. It wasn't easy when we had the conversations over same gender relationships and marriage in the Episcopal Church. Pain was found on all sides. We know that there are plenty of folks that are ready to tune in and pay attention to the church when we're fighting with ourselves and not when we're out doing good things. Plenty of folks that are waiting to spring a gotcha question on us. And that's when I think we need to pay attention to the second part of our gospel reading. In spite of all of these hard teachings that Jesus has been giving, And in spite of the disciples, you know, sort of Beth's efforts, once they retire to the house to to keep Jesus to themselves, here come these little kids to bother Jesus. And Jesus says to them, let the little children come to me. Do not stop them. For it is to such as these that the kingdom of God belongs. Truly, I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will never enter it. And he picks them up and he blesses them. Now, it seems a fair reading of the text that these children that are coming to Jesus are excited to see Jesus. We don't know why. Maybe he's just the new guy. Maybe he always had a piece of candy in his pocket. 
Maybe they knew who Jesus was in a way that the adults around them couldn't, but they're excited to be there. And sometimes when we talk about what does Jesus mean about the little children receiving the kingdom of God, we think that, well, we should be sort of simple and happy. We should take it um, without questioning. But for anybody that has spent any time around children, the one thing you do know is there is no such thing as not questioning, right? Kids ask all sorts of questions all the time. And their questions come from curiosity, from fascination, from a desire to get to know someone. And so when I read this scene, I imagine that the children that Jesus welcomes and blesses all the time that they're sort of wiggling and crawling around on him are asking him all sorts of questions. Why is the sky blue? Why are you wearing that color robe? This is what I did yesterday with my mom. Like that there's this constant sort of dialogue going on filled with questions. And so if we're to come to the kingdom of God like children, then that means we are to come to the kingdom of God excited to receive God's blessing and to be in community with God and to bring all of our questions with us. It's different the way a child asks a question than the way the Pharisees ask the question. And to come to the kingdom of God and to receive it as a child means that we have to understand that we're not going to outsmart our way into the kingdom. There is not a gotcha question that we're going to be able to ask to trick Jesus into giving us something special. There's no trick question that suddenly will reveal all the mysteries. Instead, we need to come to God, come to scripture, come to church with all of our questions that are coming from places of curiosity and for a desire for deeper relationship. It's that sort of curiosity about scripture and God and about each other that have allowed us to embrace all sorts of people and all sorts of relationships in the church. It's how we've learned how to end relationships and marriages in healthy ways that still respect the dignity of both people and offer care and love and concern. It's how we've learned about co-parenting when there's a divorce and there are children involved. It's how we've learned that when you sit down for marriage counseling, that even if you haven't been divorced, the questions I ask you are about all of your other relationships because you never enter in a relationship as a clean slate. We are all touched and impacted and hurt in different ways by our past relationships. It's the way this curiosity, this constant sort of willing to question and wrestle with different texts and with each other, that we've learned marriage really is less about property or money or gender and is more about God's intention of companionship and mutual blessing. And even in the tension that is created in trying to hold all this together, we continue as a community of faith bound together in love and grace. I think perhaps the greatest lesson that we learn from this hard text in Mark, from doing the hard work of reading scripture the way Jesus did, reading scripture with the the gospel and salvation of God around us, the hardest lesson, or the best lesson that we learn, the greatest lesson that we learn, is that when we take these difficult passages and we take our experience in our community and we engage in this way of sort of finding the way forward, what we learn is that the truth of the gospel is that there is absolutely, absolutely nothing that can separate us from the love of God. And that there is no part of human life 
that is beyond God's transforming grace. Amen.